Hey everybody, welcome to the My Voice Mentor Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm actually currently gearing up for the coming 2023 season. So in the meantime, we're not going to be running reruns. We're going to continue to run weekly episodes, except instead of it being a full video and audio podcast, it's just going to be audio. So if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, not much is going to change. But if you're one of my YouTube watchers and listeners, you're just going to have to watch the animated audiogram for now. But don't worry, we're coming back in January with all brand new episodes with amazing guests. So the My Voice Mentor podcast is all about people using their voice in amazing ways. It's not just for singers. It's also public speakers, content creators, and really anyone who wants to improve the tonal impact and the sound of their voice. So stick around. There's a lot coming, and I look forward to seeing you in 2023. So let's get right into today's topic. My question for today is what lies have you believed about your voice? What lies have you believed about your voice? Maybe they're internal lies, maybe they're external, maybe they're things that someone has told you, maybe it's things you've told yourself, or maybe it's those voices in your head that tell you that you don't have a good voice or that your voice is this or that. Conventional wisdom is interesting. Sometimes it's helpful, and I'm certainly not against conventional thinking. We need conventional thinkers, but I think sometimes we also need non-conventional thinking as well. I think that it's healthy and good to expose yourself to non-conventional wisdom, at least wisdom that's not so obvious or not so around the corner. And so that's the premise on today's question. What lies have you believed about your voice? Because there might've been people in authority throughout the process of your life that gave you opinions about your voice. You're too loud, you're too soft, you're too squeaky, you're too airy, you're too gravelly. And for some of you, it might be holding you back from using your voice to communicate your passions, your thoughts, your ideas, what have you. So to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about, I'm going to swerve into politics. I don't want to talk about politics today, but I'm going to swerve into politics and I'm going to talk about a non- or at least hopefully non-controversial these days, you can't really tell. But I'm going to talk about a non-controversial issue that has been coming up in politics. It's amazing that these things would even come up. But to illustrate my point, I'm not sure if you paid attention to the murmurings and the rumors, but believe it or not, there's actually a lot of talk and discussion in the Senate about removing the time changes throughout the year. It's amazing that they have time to think about such things. But in fact, yes, the Senate has introduced and I think unanimously voted on a bill to keep daylight savings permanent throughout the year. And I've heard that they've taken some polls and I guess 75% of the people agree with that. Yes, daylight savings all year round. Who knows? I might have agreed with it at first glance too. I'm certainly not a big fan of fall back and spring forward. I'm not a big fan of it. I think anytime you change the time, whether it's on a flight or scheduled time change, I don't think it's good for our biorhythms or what have you. I don't think it's good for our sleeping patterns. So yeah, I'm all for having a standard time that exists all throughout the year. But me personally, I would actually prefer to have standard time 
all year. That's where we are right now, which is the fallback, where instead of losing an hour, you gain an hour. Of course, you neither lose nor gain anything. But 75% of the people, apparently, according to their studies, say that they prefer daylight savings time. And the Senate, in their discussion about this, they've said, well, here are the benefits. We can give the children an hour more a day to play before having to go home. Now, why the government's worrying about our kids playing, you got me on that one, but okay, I see your point. That makes sense. And even in the last couple of years, we have extended daylight savings. And the reasoning behind it was that our children would be able to trick or treat and have an extra hour of daylight. And I'm like, wow. I mean, on the surface, it makes a lot of sense, but we're talking about one day here. We're going to move heaven and earth and the sun and the time because of trick-or-treating? Like, really? This is what we talk about, apparently. And me, I'm a natural skeptic, and I'm thinking, okay, what is this really about? What is this really about? Because when I was a kid, regardless of where the sun was in the sky, you were expected to be home at five o'clock or six o'clock or whenever dinner time. So, hey, look, this is when you're going to be home. I don't care where the sun is. You're going to be home. I don't I want my kids hanging out eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night before they came home. What on earth? And so then as you go down, it, it turns out the real reason is it's good for the economy. Why is it good for the economy? Because people are working later hours. Ah, okay. That's why we're talking about it then. It's not for our kids. Because here's the truth. For that one day they go out and trick or treat, if we were to have daylight savings all the way throughout the year, think about the four or five months out of the year that they're walking to school, if they do, or walking to the bus stop in complete darkness. That's many more days than one day a year that they're going out trick or treating. Now, granted, that could be very dangerous to go trick-or-treating. I recommend parents go with their kids or do an alternative. But anyway, we are in standard time now, and right now, the sun here in Texas, and we're about to enter into winter solstice, the sun raises here about 7.20, which means that under daylight savings time, the sun wouldn't come until 8.20. The bottom line is our kids would be walking to the bus stop in complete darkness. If your kid goes to school at 8 o'clock, which a lot do, or 7.30, It'd be pitch black outside. And there's people getting up, going to work, and kids walking to bus stops. Okay, so my point in all of this is not to talk about time changes, because that's a relatively unimportant thing. What we're talking about today is the voice. And what conventional lie have you heard about your voice that is untrue? Perhaps, maybe one of them is, Certain people have good voices while others don't. That might be a conventional lie that you've either heard or believed. And it's common. I encounter a lot of people, that's their common belief. Either you have it or you don't. It really isn't a product of hard work or learning a skill. It's just some people have good voices and other people don't. It's one of the frustrating things as a singer because people just assume that you woke up one day being able to sing like I do or speak. And they tell me things. They say, you're a natural if you only knew. I am absolutely not a natural. First of all, I am a raging introvert. 
I am an ultra introvert. Talking to people in my natural state is extremely difficult. I had to work very hard to overcome my introvertedness. Now today, most people wouldn't be able to tell that I'm an introvert, but I am. I struggle with shyness. I struggle with feelings of rejection. Even 30 years into doing this, I still have those voices in my head that want to tell me lies about my voice. So if it's true for me, my theory is that it's true for you. I know for me, I've heard a lot of lies about my voice, so I know that it's true for other people. And as a voice coach, I could dive into all the ways that you can overcome any challenges that you have with your voice. We all have different challenges. Some people who want to sing have a hard time hearing and recognizing melodies and harmonies, while others don't like the tone or the timbre or the quality of their voice, while others don't have the power or the energy. Some people want to sing really high and they struggle with that. So all these are mechanical hows to accomplish. If you're a public speaker, I want to be able to say something and actually have it hit the ear of the listener and impact them in a profound way. And sometimes when I talk, I feel like people are just giving me glazed over looks or they're looking down at their phones. You guys ever feel that way? Like, how do I use my voice in a way that compels the listener, keeps their attention? In this day, in this world where we're all getting bombarded with voices in our heads and voices in our ears and voices on our screens that are all trying to convince us of something. How can my voice possibly stand out? I don't think I'm alone in thinking that it's a challenge. And with more voices than there ever have been and more platforms to get your message out there, it's never been more important to focus and give attention to your voice. And that starts with how you feel about it. My primary question I ask almost every time I give a talk or a podcast or whatever is, do you like your voice? And if not, why? Because we have to overcome that before I can talk about how. And some people are just ready to go. And I love it because then it's, okay, it's time to pull the trigger connect with a voice coach like me, and let's take some steps together. But for most people, they wouldn't even take that step. They wouldn't even invest in their voice because they just don't believe intrinsically that it's worth their investment. And so I want to come in here as many opportunities as I can to convince you that it actually is worth your time to invest in your voice. It's worth your time. It's worth your attention. There's so much that you can do the opportunities for voice talent is actually through the roof. There's this blue ocean of opportunity with people with a voice. It's a springboard for your ideas. There's no better way to communicate your message than through your voice. Now we have writers. Of course, if you're a writer, that is fantastic. And you should be using your writing skills. But even if you're not a writer, but you have a voice, today's technology actually allows you to take what you say, convert it into text, edit it, or pass it off to an editor, and you've actually killed two birds with one stone. Not true with writing. If I write something, I would still have to recite it and say it, which 
for writers, that's probably the easier way to go. The easier path for their voice would be to write something and then read it. And I know lots of great communicators, that's their approach. But let's say you're not a writer. I am definitely not a writer. But here recently with having to build a website and having to really think about my content, I've had to become more proficient in my writing. How do I do that? I do that with my voice. I do that by giving talks like right now. And then I let the AI world transcribe it for me. I go in there and edit it. Now I've got not only this audio recording, but I have text to go with it. The bottom line is the voice being a primary instrument is worth your attention. It's worth your investment. But none of us will actually take that step and invest in our voice unless we believe that it's a worthy investment. And that's what I'm here to tell all of you, that your voice is a worthy investment. I'm also a musician. I played the piano. And there's a level of culpable deniability when you have an external instrument that you play. And basically meaning there's things that you can pass off to the instrument. In other words, I could sit down at a piano and if that piano is not properly tuned or it hasn't been properly maintained or it's just old, if I play it and it doesn't sound good, people know the difference between a good player versus a good instrument. And it's easy for me to blame bad tones coming out of the keyboard or the piano on a improperly tuned instrument. Well, what happens when you're the instrument? And again, this doesn't just apply to singers. So singers and speakers, when you open your mouth and tone comes out of your mouth, either in speaking or in singing, if you don't like the sound of your voice or you feel like or people have told you that they don't like the sound of your voice. Who do you blame? It's not like you can blame the instrument maker. I guess you could. You could blame God. Why'd you give me such a bad voice? There's nothing more personal than the voice. It's me. I'm the instrument. When I open my mouth, it's me. I am a living instrument. The voice is the only living, breathing, musical instrument. Think about that. It's why it's so personal. It's why when we hear negative comments about our voice, they cut us so deep. Or when we engage in personal destruction of our voice, we speak negative thoughts or we say negative things or we're overly critical. We're speaking death over our voice. Why would we do that? That's terrible. I want to help change your mindset. My primary goal as a voice teacher, voice coach, voice mentor, I really prefer to say, is to cause you to fall in love with your voice. Not in a narcissistic way. Definitely not that. I don't want you to love your voice in an unhealthy way. Believe me, that's gross. But I want you to love your voice in the proper way. In the proper way in my opinion, is to acknowledge that it was a gift and it was created, constructed with you in mind. Because that's what I believe. I believe your voice was created, formed, not evolved. I know not everybody might agree with me on that, and that's fine. I respect 
differing viewpoints, but I believe wholeheartedly with everything that I have seen, with the amazing intricacies of the body, it is not rational for me to believe that this all just happened from one process of chance followed by another, followed by another process of chance. I'm sorry. Things seem overwhelmingly more developed from a design perspective than from a random ordering of events perspective. I have not been convinced of that. I'm going to continue with the premise that there was a designer that designed your voice. And I'm going to take another step and say that designer was caring for you when he built your voice. That it was a design of love. And so if the designer built and cared for your voice, we should also love it. We should. I'm not a car guy, but I'm going to use a car analogy. If somebody came up and drove in here with, let's say, the top of the line Tesla. I've never been in one of those, but I've heard that they're pretty awesome. Or a Lamborghini or something. I'm not a car guy, so I don't even know. But anybody can recognize a high-end car when they see it. And somebody came in and gave that to me. I said, I just want you to have it. Listen, everything's paid for in this car. Everything's paid for. Taxes, tours. Imagine if I were to look at it and say, yeah, it's okay. I don't really like that color though. And man, really, did it have to be a Lamborghini? Couldn't it have been this kind of car? Why this car? Instead of seeing it as, oh my gosh, this is a top of the line, perfectly tuned vehicle that has, everything's been taken care of on it. Everything's been prepared for me on it. Most people would be overwhelmed. Even if I'm not a car guy, I'd be overwhelmed by that. I could recognize, okay, this is a over-the-top, overwhelming gift. Now, the reasonability factor would kick in, and I would say to myself, man, I love this car, but listen, I think you got the wrong guy because I don't even know the first thing about how to even drive a car like this. And let's say that guy says to me, isn't it worth it? to learn. If you've got a fantastic car and you can appreciate how amazing it is, wouldn't it be worth it for you to figure out how to get something out of it? Hey, let's take this thing out and see what it can do. And the more you drive that car and the more that you trust the vehicle and the more you trust the designer and the design of that vehicle, you're going to feel more comfortable doing some bold things with it. Maybe at first you're like, look, I just want to take the side roads. This thing's just too powerful. I don't want to take it on the highway. You take it on some side roads. And after a few weeks, a few months of that, you're like, man, this car was just not designed to go 35 miles an hour. This car does not want to stop at every light. This car wants to go. It wants to go. I think you see my point. Your voice wants to soar. There are things deep in your heart that you can only 
get from you to me through the power of your voice. And I'm here to tell you that I need to hear your voice. The world needs to hear your voice. It's time for you to invest in your voice. That's it. I'm going to keep harping on this. I'm going to keep poking at this. Because I care about your voice. I care about you. I really do. I have overcome a lot of my own insecurities and my own weaknesses and my own lies that I've told myself to the point where I want to take other people on that journey. I want other people to experience what a life with a voice that you're confident in, what that can do for you and the doors that can open for you and the people that can put in front of you. And not only that, the people that you can influence and the voices that you can unlock as a result, not everybody's going to have access to me. But they have access to you. And so if I invest in you, and then you down the road decide to invest in somebody else and offer a word of encouragement to them, that's just amazing because you're going to be able to impact and influence people that I won't. So I'm here to unlock as many voices as humanly possible. I'm waging a war against forces that would seek to silence your voice. At the end of the day, I don't even think it's systems or algorithms or people at the end of the day that want to silence you, although sometimes people partner. But I believe that there are spiritual forces that are seeking to silence your voice because I believe without a doubt that within the voice there's the power of life and death. And those that love it, that being life, will speak it. And that's what I want to do. I want to speak life into you and I want you to speak life into others. The particulars we may not always agree on, but at the end of the day, I want to speak life with my words. I want to build up and not tear down. And that's the kind of people that I want to take on that journey with. I really appreciate you guys sticking with me and listening. Have a wonderful week. If you'd like to invest in your voice, go to myvoicementor.com forward slash bootcamp where I walk you through a free five-day vocal bootcamp. It's kind of give you a tune-up, give you a primer on the initial steps you can start taking to invest in your voice. It's absolutely free. We'd love to give that to you. Again, myvoicementor.com forward slash bootcamp. There's no reason why you don't want to sign up for that. It's a great way for you and I to connect and for me to start helping you on your journey to improving your voice. In the meantime, thanks again for listening. I appreciate you all for sticking with it. In the meantime, guys, have a great week. I look forward to talking with you again in the future. God bless. Thank you for listening to the My Voice Mentor podcast. I am so excited to bring these episodes to you every week and to do everything I can to help you find and improve your voice for a lifetime. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to hit that like and subscribe. And don't forget that Coming in January, we're going to have full video and audio podcasts. I'm going to have weekly tips and tricks for you in the meantime. So stick around. I'm glad you all came. Can't wait to see you in the future. So have a great week and I'll see you next time.